Hello and welcome back to Why Did Peter Sink? This is part five of Me Speak Babble, The Gate of God. Our topic today is communication breakdown. Uh, the common language of those at Babel is the worldview that comes from a universe emptied of the oversight of God and replaced by a lowercase g, God. As a result, the idea of sin gets a total makeover. Uh, the gate is a big trick to turn ourselves into the God. That's what I've been talking about in the first four parts. Um, this is not just how uh, pagan worship worked uh, 3,000 years ago or 4,000 years ago. It's actually how all habitual sin works. It works exactly the same way as it did for Sargon of Akkad. Um, perhaps I am Sargon and so are we all. In a universe where we are the God, we can do whatever we like. In fact, in that universe, we'd be fools not to go get our share of pleasure, power, wealth, and honor. And you can make all the appeals to morality you like, but there's no reason for the lion to lay down with the lamb if the nature of the lion is to dominate the lamb. Uh, to dominate then becomes divine. History is written by the victors. That's another way of saying that. The innocent lamb stands no chance because it is there for the taking, and it is delicious. All arguments about fair play and human dignity become academic arguments. In the animal world, the lion will only eat until it's full and contented. But in the human heart, that lion cannot be contented. It wants all lambs that ever existed and ever will exist to be his own forever and no one else's. Animals do not have the same problem that we do. And this is the broken spring in our machinery as described in the garden and in the wrath of envy, wrath and envy of Cain when he kills Abel. This is what Richard Dawkins and the modern atheists don't understand. Um, the selfish gene in a four-legged mammal plays out very different from those of us walking on two legs who happen to suffer from original sin. The universe that lacks a living God is one where sin makes far more sense than repentance and self-abnegation, if you want to call it that. In that universe, man is above God because God is no longer watching. If you frame your life in this language, you speak Babel. And you speak Babel. We all speak Babel. Me speak Babel. The state of the world today is mostly the same as when the story of Babel was being written. And I say mostly because there is one major and all-important difference from an event that happened to a construction worker who was executed around the year 30 AD. Um, have you heard this before? Uh, this man did not stay dead. He returned from the grave in a risen and glorified form that could be touched, yet could also pass through walls. In other words, he defeated the ultimate secret fear that is sunk deep within every one of us. He defeated death. As a bonus, he takes away our sins and transforms our suffering. That little event changes a lot of things for all of us who speak Babel. And it's extremely important that we understand how the world of Babel was changed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In the Tower of Babel story, God observes people building a tower that will reach the sky. Once again, ancient people were not dumb enough to think that a tower could be built tall enough to reach heaven. Um, and anyone who thinks that uh, that's what this story is about needs to put their unconscious bias aside. We have today a lot of present privilege and enlightenment fragility that we need to face when we encounter the Tower of Babel story. So I encourage you to look in the mirror and address those things. 
The tower is meant to be a place where the supernatural can be pulled down to earth like a magic act. And our presentism mindset asks, how could anyone be so primitive as to believe that? That's what we say when we read the Tower of Babel. Yet, we know that today, millions of people, if not billions, read horoscopes and they pay for people to interpret tarot cards for them. We have faith in many, many odd things today. We check our fitness watch body battery and we go to GNC and buy pseudoscience fitness supplements. Uh, we also get lost in our fantasy worlds of Dungeons and Dragons and Hogwarts and Modern Warfare and, and whatever video game. We watch sports and we pray to the TV as the football soars through the air toward the uprights as time runs out on the clock. Suffice it to say, we have ample, ample superstitions and spirit worlds circling all about us yet today. They just aren't always as obvious as a tower or a ziggurat. Some of the worst examples are in our own backyards, literally. There are Catholics who bury a, st a statue of St. Joseph upside down in the yard to help sell their house. And please, please stop this superstitious nonsense, Catholics, and immediately go read Catechism paragraphs 2111 to 2117. Catholics, you're not meant to be superstitious. That's one of the things we get accused of the most because we're doing it wrong. Okay, at last, let's get into the Tower story a bit more. It only took me five episodes to really get into the story of the Tower of Babel. Um, seeing this project underway, how does God respond? So in the story, he sees them building the tower to reach the sky. They want to make a name for themselves. It's a gate to God. So he confuses them. He, in trying to access heaven, he stops them from proceeding. What's interesting is the approach uh, to God. Because the builders of Babel are trying to manipulate God, God stops them. Um, but God uninvited reveals insights into heaven later on in Genesis and to those who he offers a glimpse of heaven react in a very different way from the builders of the Tower of Babel. So, of course, I said I was going to get into the story of the Tower of Babel a little more, but I'm going to jump ahead in Genesis and talk about Jacob here. Um, but this is the hilarious thing about our attempts to manipulate God. Whenever we yell out, why God, why? He shows us later on, but he, it might take us five years. Uh, when we demand God listen to us, he ignores us on purpose. But when he wants us to know something, he'll reach down and tap us on the shoulder. Uh, the difference between humility and humiliation is this. Humility is when you voluntarily surrender to God. Humiliation is when God does it for you. Now, that is gold in addiction recovery meetings because everyone understands it and everyone laughs together, knowing exactly what the difference between humility and humiliation is. Um, it's good times, good times. Um, this stairway to heaven is being built for the people to make a name for themselves. Now, contrast that. Contrast the Tower of Babel to chapter 28 of Genesis where Jacob um, has his dream. So Jacob, in his dream, is, a, is sort of tapped by God. Uh, he he's, has a vision of the ladder. And he hasn't built anything. He hasn't even done anything. He went to sleep. 
Um, in a dream, God sends him a vision. And Jacob merely sees a ladder upon which angels are ascending and descending from and to heaven. And rather than build a staircase on a ziggurat when he wakes up and try to reach God, uh, Jacob just wakes up um, and is, is startled and changed by this vision. But he is given it freely. He's not trying to pull down God to do this. And what does Jacob do when he wakes up? He doesn't wake up and start building the ladder or the stairway to heaven. No. What he does the very next morning is the opposite of what happened at Babel. Jacob builds an, alt an altar to worship God with humility. He even, calls it the, he even calls it the gateway to heaven, but it is not built to reach the sky. It's, it's about three feet tall by the way it's described, like an ordinary altar. His response of humility is nothing like the builders at Babel, which is the opposite of, of humble. humble. Uh, this act by Jacob happens at a place called Bethel, which means house of God. And house has a very different connotation than tower or gate. Uh, there's a very different symbolism in a house than in a massive ziggurat. And the words of Jacob in chapter 28 are these. How awesome this place is. This is nothing else but the house of God, the gateway to heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up as a sacred pillar and poured oil on top of it. This stone that I have set up as a sacred pillar will be the house of God. Of everything you give me, I will return a tenth part to you without fail. So Jacob sees the stairway to heaven in his dream, or the gateway to heaven, and that the Babylonians were trying to build. It's almost like he sees, God shows him what the Tower of Babel was trying to achieve, um, and also... Notice that Jacob is able to pour oil on this altar or pillow. So it's very short. It must be about three feet tall. He's not trying to reach the sky. He's probably uh, doing something where he can kneel near it and, and worship. So he doesn't try to build a tower. He offers what little he has, gives praise, and asks for nothing in return. In fact, he even promises to tithe, to give 10% of what he has to God, just for the glory of God for the rest of his life. So this is a, chain, a moment that obviously changes him dramatically. The difference may seem subtle, but this is central to the theme and story of the entire Old Testament and how it ties to Jesus in the incarnation and the resurrection. We bring what little we have and God provides the rest. That's the story of the loaves and fishes where Jesus, uh, the apostles or the, the boy in the story has like five loaves of bread and two fish. So we bring what little we have God provides the rest. He comes to us. We do not lasso or wrangle or capture him. God came to Jacob, and the rulers at Babel tried to go up and seize God. It's the difference between humility and pride. So what's happening at the Tower of Babel is not praise or worship of the one true God. It's an attempted coup to replace the Most High God. The Tower is an attempt to leash and control God ultimately to dictate rules using God as an excuse or um, as a, like you're, you're communicating with him and thereby remove whatever sins you're, you want to do. How often do a, does a nation who becomes an empire um, go and complete its conquest and then 
say, look, we brought peace to the world while they've been slaughtering and slashing everybody in its wake. I'm looking at you, America, um, and Rome and whatever. That's the game of empire. And I'll talk a lot more about that later. But um, so the people are using their minds and hands uh, on the Tower of Babel and, and these ziggurats to perform like a merger of magic and science so that they can try to get God to come down to earth or at least give the illusion of it. Now, what this would be like is like if all the characters in Macbeth started building a giant staircase to kill Shakespeare. It ain't going to happen. So with that image, you can recognize the absurdity easily in what Babylon was attempting to do with this tower or ziggurat. It's a ludicrous project from the start. Now, even if Macbeth, before he kills off his best friend Banquo, um, and even if those two and the rest of the, the cast of the play were building a tower in the story, the tower, if that tower was to, to kill Shakespeare, the tower would be as flat as the page itself because it is a, it's in the story. And Shakespeare would still be the author who wrote the tower into the story. So if anyone ever tells you that they know the mind of God, prepare to run. Um, there is, uh, there's revelations where we can know the mind of God, but there, if someone comes up to you and tells you that um, you should be a little nervous because they could be playing Babel type of games, or they might be a real prophet. In either case, be careful. Um, just remember, Iago seemed nice at first, too, before he ruined Othello's life. And that was all done on purpose in that story by Iago's and Othello's creator, Shakespeare. Um, God knows our path. We do not. Um, and, and a matter of fact, even um, Othello, for all the horrible things that happened to him in the play, becomes the hero in everyone who, for everyone who reads the play, the tragic hero. Um, and Shakespeare made him that way. So that could be what's happening in your own life. Um, we must follow his will, the creator's will, and conform our heart to whatever outcome happens. Um, so you have to repeat after me and say, I am not the author, I am a character. I am not the potter at the wheel, I am the pot. I am not the creator, I am a creature. And that's, oddly enough, makes you happy. Uh, it's, it's, it's very freeing to realize you are not the creator and that you don't have to have all the answers. Um, what the Macbeth characters would fail to understand is that building a staircase cannot escape the pages and the story they are living inside. So they live on two-dimensional paper while Shakespeare lived in three dimensions in our world. Uh, Shakespeare is on a different level than his characters, a different plane that cannot be ascended to. And furthermore, Shakespeare is the creator of that story. So anything the characters do was allowed by Shakespeare in the first place. This is also important for us to understand of whenever we say, why does God allow evil things to happen in the world? If you think of Shakespeare writing Macbeth, he allowed Lady Macbeth and Macbeth to do awful things to tell the story for something greater. Um, so keep that in mind, I guess, when you're thinking about the will of God and why things are the way they are. Um, one other thing, the Babel Construction Company doesn't realize that God cannot be pulled down. And what the people are actually doing is a self-destructive stunt that will pull the tower down upon themselves because of their arrogance. Uh, the lesson here is that you cannot control God because he created us. He's not on the same plane as us. And, but he lets us know he is there in some mysterious way. But he doesn't need us. We need him. 
we cannot reach up and pull him down. We can only reach up in, in prayer. Uh, so the story of Babel goes on and gives us God's response. Keep in mind that figurative language must be used here because the sacred writer is conveying something that goes beyond this tower project. Here's what God says. Um, then the Lord said, If now, while they are one people and all have the same language, they have started to do this, nothing they presume to do will be out of their reach. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that no one will understand the speech of another. So the Lord scattered them from there all over the earth and they stopped building the city. Now, one thing in that that I have to point out, how interesting it is that God says, come, let us go down there and there confuse their language. Like he is the Trinity, the God of the Trinity. Let us, three persons in one God. That's a, a cool little thing as the Tower of Babel story. Um, it's kind of like when God is walking in the Garden of Eden. Um, who do you think is walking there? It's Christ. Um, so there's the, tri the Trinity. The God of the Trinity shows up all over the Old Testament. You just have to look for it. Um, and it's kind of subtle. Um, anyway, so the scattering is the origin story of where the idea of the nations come from in the Bible. Now, in the previous chapter, the nations were... Uh, listed in the table of nations right before the tower story. So there's this odd sense that everyone was living together, if not in harmony and in, in at least enough harmony to build this tower, to have this common goal. Um, but we already know that Noah's sons were at each other like a family on Jerry Springer before that. So this is one place where the sacred writer seems to be instructing us on a couple of things, on four things I'm going to point out. Uh, the nations formed when they took up false gods. And that's straight out of Lord of the Flies kind of thing, which I've talked about in other series on this podcast. Um, the second thing, the different languages created different cultures triggering communication breakdown. Um, three, thus, the nations do not like one another. They do not like one another. It's the tribes. They're all out there. They're all against each other. It's like the NFL. Eagles fans hate Patriot fans and Packers fans hate Bears fans and so on. Four, the last thing, instead, we do not have harmony, we have hatred, distrust, treachery, and war. So that's it for this episode. Thanks for joining. We'll be back with more on this series, and uh, we'll keep talking about the Tower of Babel and Me Speak Babel. Part six will be the next one. Thanks for listening. <laughs>